You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah, the most gracious, ever merciful, peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all, dear listeners. It is Wednesday, the 23rd of August. You are joined here in the Battle for Two Mosque, the largest mosque in Western in in, in Europe, um, at the uh, Battle for Two uh, at the Voice of Islam Studios, uh, by myself, Muhammad Attar, and uh, Brother Nuruddin Jangir, uh, your usual Wednesday presenters. How are you doing this morning, Brother? Assalamualaikum, peace be upon you. Um, I'm glad to be back. It's been a little bit of a break yeah. for me, and uh, yeah, it's good to good to come here and uh, come to the studio and you know discuss these interesting topics. Um, I'm just glad. Every time I just look out the window, just to, just to see the weather, how that is, and that usually depends. Uh, that usually like um, dictates what mood I'm in. So <laughs> today is nice and sunny. So a nice it, and it clear, was a clear bit skies. chilly, like coming in the morning. Yeah, right? it was a bit chilly, yeah. and then um, just slowly started yeah. warming up, and um, now it's just very very pleasant. So yeah, I'm in a good mood. As always, you know, we do have an interesting lineup of topics for you guys. We'll be discussing. The need for Britain to harness science and engineering for growth in our first segment of the morning. And in our later segment, we will be discussing August World Water Week. And, you know, we do have an interesting lineup of guests for you guys as well that we will be interviewing, uh, God willing. Uh, just before we do get into the news and uh, the weather part of our show, we will be taking a very short break. And please do join us after the very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam. Thy boundless blessings and peace be upon Mustafa, O Lord. Verily, through him we receive thy light. My soul is eternally bonded to the soul of Muhammad. I made my heart drink deep of the brimful cup of this love. None better than he could I discover in the whole world. Most certainly, I have broken my heart loose from the grip of others. God's glory is reflected in your virtues, my beloved. Him I made my own by having made you mine. Having touched the hem of thy garment, O God, one is saved from being entrapped by the charms of others. Verily, I bow my head at your threshold alone. O my beloved, I swear by thy unity, in my love of thee, I have become oblivious of my own self. By God, all other images have vanished from my heart ever since I had your countenance etched upon it. It was because of you that we became the best of all the peoples. O prophet of God, who is the best of all the prophets, as you marched ahead of all the rest, we too stepped forward. Let alone the human beings, even all the angels in the heavens follow suit and join me as I sing thy praise. The promised Messiah, peace be on him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in Islam states, When the blessings of Allah are near at hand, he provides the prerequisites for the acceptance of prayer. The heart is stirred, warms up, and begins to glow. When, however, the moment is not opportune for the acceptance of prayer, the heart lacks that tranquility which results in turning towards God. However much one exerts oneself, the heart does not respond by exhibiting willingness. 
It is so because at times God exerts His decree so that His will be done. And at other times, He concedes to the prayer of His servants. That is why as long as I do not perceive the signs of God's willingness, I do not entertain much hope for the acceptance of prayer. At such times, I submit to the will of my Lord with greater pleasure than that which I derive from the acceptance of prayer. Indeed, I know that the blessings and fruits of this submission to the will of God are greater by far. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam. Thy boundless blessings and peace be upon Mustafa, O Lord. Verily, through him we receive thy light. My soul is eternally bonded to the soul of Muhammad. I made my heart drink deep of the brimful cup of this love. None better than he could I discover in the whole world. Most certainly, I have broken my heart loose from the grip of others. God's glory is reflected in your virtues, my beloved. Him I made my own by having made you mine. Having touched the hem of thy garment, O God, one is saved from being entrapped by the charms of others. Verily, I bow my head at your threshold alone. O my beloved, I swear by thy unity, in my love of thee, I have become oblivious of my own self. By God, all other images have vanished from my heart ever since I had your countenance etched upon it. It was because of you that we became the best of all the peoples. O prophet of God, who is the best of all the prophets, as you marched ahead of all the rest, we too stepped forward. Let alone the human beings, even all the angels in the heavens follow suit and join me as I sing thy praise. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all welcome back to the breakfast show just a quick reminder as this is a live interactive show so you can call in at any time and uh, you know have it if you have any questions or any feedback you can call in at 0286877878 or tweet us at the voice of islam uk so in terms of the news I think a lot of our listeners may be aware you know there's there's like um I don't want to you know use any wrong terms for for the person but uh, you know uh, a very vicious person you could say the the nurse Lucy Letby maybe you know she's uh, maybe she has some like mental health issues or something but um she's uh, been like killing infants right killing babies yep. and she's killed like around seven babies in her time that she was serving as a nurse in NHS and um yeah she's killed seven babies and attempted to murder six more and uh, you know a, lo- a lot of her colleagues you know they even suspected that you know there was a high within a few months period there was a high number of uh, uh baby deaths and they kind of suspected you know maybe it could be something to do with her uh and complaints were forwarded but nothing was really done about it it nothing was kind of dismissed it, yeah. so it's it's really a sad reality that uh you know things like this you know happening in a first world country like this you know a very established country uh you know these sort of crimes they happen every now and then in in places like you could you know where it's, it's very like run down where there's a lot of stuff like favelas and stuff or yeah, lots of diseases and third world countries essentially right yeah. but uh hearing about this in a properly developed country developed situated country is is rare yeah these, these these sort of things that happen but there were if there were signs there were you know um people suspecting her something could have been done sooner i think i believe so as well i yeah. think um, if you also uh, read the the um, front page of the daily mirror and they highlight how this is actually something that it's not the first time it's happened hmm. 32 years ago there was another killer nurse who was also attempting to yeah. to kill babies you know by injecting um, air into them and stuff and hmm. what not um and so the family then and they're asking questions like how could they let this happen again and i think what's been happening is they've been they're trying to get more accountability on the senior doctors and the and the managers of the nhs who no. because because it's happened before and uh, as you said the uh, questions were raised about this um doubts about this happening no. um and why nothing was done so they need to they need there needs to be more accountability on a higher level um as to why these things are like going under the radar and yeah. being allowed to happen so it's 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 a shame for even if a single baby dies hmm. but to have seven and seven pass away um, because of this these acts and the further six at risk as well attempted yeah. killings as well it's it's just terrible and um so just losing a child just you know how it devastates a family exactly yeah um, L- lloyd keen the chair of the patients association a campaigning charity she said that um nurses were horrified that it was not spotted and considered the fact that letby was white blonde very middle class uh, probably affected the failure to stop her as didn't look like a murderer adding that the sad reality is that if you were black brown asian you probably would have been investigated a lot quicker I mean you know it's 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 something you don't want to talk about yeah. the, the race aspect of it 
but it's just the reality these days. It's, and, it, it, it's and true, you know. Like yeah. we say, you know, uh, we are living in the twenty first century, and you know, racism, which is essentially like we are trying to null it out, right? We're trying to finish it, but there is it's still prevalent in today's society. Absolutely, unfortunately, yeah. that is the and harsh all, reality. That's in all walks of life as well, in all yeah. fields of of work. Um, it's just that you know it'll take step by step, maybe a yeah. new generation who are not brought up with the same prejudices that you know this generation have and mm. the previous generations have and um hopefully you know then we can get to a stage where yeah. people are all understanding of one another and and to see past color and to see past creed and mm. race and whatnot and you know the emancipation of uh, slaves uh, and like we could say racism as well only started ending like a few few decades, decades back ago, right? Yeah, right whereas 1400 years ago the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, did essentially the true emancipation of slavery by saying that there is no differentiation between Absolutely. any white man or black man or any coloured man. There's no right? superiority. Every, there's no superiority. Yeah. Everyone's equal. Yeah. And he, even the Holy Quran teaches these teachings that, you know, what is the best of deeds and that is to free a slave. Mm. Exactly. So... I mean, it's a shame, but um, yeah. the, but the principles for equality are there, provided by religion. It's mm. just about following them now, and uh, and unfortunately, even in like you can say you can look to Muslim countries yeah. and say why is there not the equality there then? Yeah. But it's about it's about actually following them as well, not just in name, in, but in practice. Of course. So if we do have a society that thrives upon uh, these principles, then we will eventually see, um, you know, that equality and the and that that you can say mm. um, eradication. Of yeah. of the racism or whatever or whatever the aspects there are that allowed such a thing to happen. Yeah. Hopefully that would not that would not um, take place. Hmm. In the Daily Mail, have you read about also the story about um, the woman the, that successful um, womb transplant? Yeah, yeah. So the sister had um, the older sisters already had two children, hmm. but her younger thirty four year old sister um, was unable to do so um, because of was it um, did she lack a, a womb or was it? Um, uh, I'm um, not sure what what day she was, but uh, she was born yeah. without a womb. But oh, uh, okay. but she has ovaries and produced eggs, which had previously been harness, harvested. Mm. So now that she has uh, successfully had the womb transplant and the uterus and everything, um, she can now. They're hoping now that she can, um, you know, use those eggs use through IVF. She can now conceive. Mm. So it's been uh, it's been deemed it's uh, a big uh, advancement, a, exactly right? a landmark yeah. in the yeah. fertility treatment and everything. So. You know, but it was it was costly. Twenty five thousand mm. pounds. Not not everyone can, can cough that up. Exactly. But um, in terms uh, of like a scientific breakthrough, yeah. that's something which hopefully it's, will it's, be. It's very big. But you know this. Uh, you know, I think it kind of links back to the first story we were talking about about Lucy Letby. Like, yeah. if someone people are willing to pay these big sums to go through these sort of things just to have children, right? Have yeah. to to procreate because children are the future. Absolutely. And then you find out that you know there's a essentially. Uh, Lack of a better word, a schmuck, right? It's just uh, in in the hospital, and uh, they've been given the opportunity to look after children, right? That's their responsibility. Absolutely, and it's it's a big blessing as well. And uh, you know, they, they, you know, like um, how if you go into the army and stuff, you have a psych evolve, right? Mm. They ev- evaluate your your psyche. Yeah. They should do that with with doctors as well. I I personally think. They're under right. a lot of stress yeah. as well. Like, exactly. like something maybe regularly should happen to see if they're yeah. how the how the state is. We're not we're not saying yeah. you know there's something wrong with them, but I'm saying that a lot of them might need help because they Absolutely. they work very long hours, and it's a very hard job the as pressures well. Pressures are real. Yeah. yeah. So as I said, look, this is something that you do in in other in other fields of work, 
and you know the people who are under the most stress and pressure and the dealing mm. with constant pain and grief and agony people in, in front of them so imagine their state of mind as well so yeah. so that would be a good idea for them our to have our thoughts and families uh, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families of Absolutely. those children who lost their lives uh, due to that tragic tragic thing that happened tragic event that occurred uh in other news uh, there's a cable car in Pakistan uh, which is stuck uh families of stranded students cry tears of joy after extremely difficult rescue so there was a like a zip wire with a with a cable car yeah and um, there were several it, children there as yeah. well yeah it just it, it got stuck and then they were they had to do a helicopter rescue um to get those i think because of the out. the high winds and everything it was yeah. very difficult to you know to get the helicopter there it took 15 there, hours 15 to hours. complete the rescue mission thankfully no one no one's yeah. hurt, no one's injured no one's no one's killed so hmm. eventually it was a, it was a success so that's a, a some good news i guess yeah but it must have been very scary imagine imagine being one of those people stuck up there like hmm. <laughs> hundreds of meters in in the air yeah. just just stranded uh, but yeah it's, it's, it's a um, shame at least there's some some good news out there if, if there are some um, emergencies going on there are some emergency responses as well where yeah. where the where the the people you know responsible are doing their jobs properly rather than causing further pain hmm. as we've seen in the Letby case there's another um another kid another 10 year old uh, kid a girl who has lost her life uh Sarah Sh- uh, Sharif uh she was found at home in Woking uh supposedly she tripped and broke her neck the uncle told the police and she, as she fell down the stairs um the the cause of death is still unknown but they have determined that you know there were um she had suffered multiple and extensive injuries that were likely to have been caused over a sustained and extended period of time so they they're still investigating this murder as well uh, I'm, i don't want to say murder sorry they're still investigating this uh, death this death but um you know there's a lot of uh, cases like this that do happen and later it is fi- found out that you know it was a, a murder that has been covered up but at, at this moment in time we cannot say anything because the police are still you know determining what the cause of death is because it's still uh, unknown but according to the uncle she fell down to uh, the stairs and broke her neck in any case just a, a loss of life is terrible yeah. itself but then for a child to lose its life because yeah. for whatever reason i'm not going to mm. speculate what they were of course um it's just um, you know you, you as you said the, your your prayers and everything mm. go out to them to the family whoever whoever lost this child as well yeah what's the weather like today the weather the weather <laughs> is uh, the sun's i think slowly peeking out popping yeah. out right i think uh, it's partly cloudy i guess but um yeah so in terms the highs of, i read there's highs of 25 to 27 today in this area so that's uh, that's a very okay. summery feeling today uh, with lows of 15 to 17 but uh, yeah let's yeah. enjoy enjoy the sun yeah. while it's out so uh generally dry and bright for much of wednesday variable amounts of cloud expected through the morning with more reliable sunny spells in the afternoon feeling warm or very warm with light winds maximum temperature of 26 Tonight it will be initially dry with evening sunny spells. Risk of heavy thundery showers moving up from the south during the early hours although confidence in detail in uh, low. Very mild minimum temperature of 14 and on Thursday heavy thundery showers are possible especially in the south of the region. How confidence in the details um 
in the detail is low. Any showers clearing eastwards later, warm and humid maximum temperature of 25 degrees. And the outlook for Friday to Sunday is that sunshine and showers through this period. Showers heavy and possibly thundery on Saturday. Temperatures near or slightly below average. So it's, it's looking like a decent week with a few showers here and there. But let's see. Let's see Never know in England. Yeah. <laughs> it's always changing anyway, so... So uh, another uh, one of the things that I'd like to end on is uh, the Jules expansion. Oh yeah, right? that's caused. Uh, a, it's been a hot topic, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's been a hot topic. Uh, like that. What um, is Sadiq on the mayor of London? Is he doing? Has he taken the right decision, or is he just you know essentially milking the the golden goose? You could say. Yeah. Well, I guess it's <laughs> a, it's a diff- it's a difficult one because on the one hand. Um, we, you know, our country's made so many pledges to reduce our emission, carbon emissions, yeah. and everything, and to help towards uh, reducing that to help the the gl- whole global warming yeah. situation. And on the other hand, it's um, it's it's probably the the poorest of society who are hmm. going to be affected the most by this. Um, they're the ones who are going to have to find a new car. And you know, exactly. I don't know if you know, but like the prices of cars these days have gone yeah. up so much as yeah. well. So it's not something no, which is... They are giving some sort of grant. There is some sort of grant, yeah. But like, I don't think it's enough to get a decent car yeah. than, than what you already have. And the thing is that, you know, um, I was looking at some... some I don't know, he was some researcher, mm. right? He was uh, delivering a, a presentation saying that, you know, even if... America, they, their population is a lot bigger. Even if they get their carbon footprint, like carbon neutral by whatever year, it's gonna the temperature of the world would go down by like no point no 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 one percent. It would make essentially zero difference. Whereas the biggest carbon emitters are the third world countries that we need to help as first world countries to help them get their emissions down. Yeah, well, we all know. They're the biggest carbon <laughs> They're the ones who've been right? exploited the most as yeah. well, so they've not been able to stand on their own two feet to to get that done in the first place. Yeah, so. but that's essentially the case. Even if we do, it's not going to make much of a difference globally. I guess everyone everyone has to play their role. And, everyone does have to play have their to role. Look at your own house we, uh, and everyone what, does what that. I'm saying is that we need to help those in need. Of course, absolutely. Right? And it has to be a global because, effort. It yeah. can't be something which um, some people want to do and others don't want to. Um, we're, we're essentially a small island nation, yeah. right? Uh, even if a we powerful get, one, nonetheless. A, a pa- yeah, a yeah. powerful one who uh, once controlled a lot of the you know world. Empires, uh, yeah. yeah, we had a big empire, but um, we we can lead by example. That's that's yeah? true. Yeah. We can lead by example, but I'm saying um, we should we shouldn't just lead by example. We should, you know, there should be many outreach product projects that are helping those exactly third world at the countries same time. Should be getting their parallel. emissions down. And then we can truly say that, you know, we're going towards a better society. Well, that first step is to start our own, yeah. you know, as you said, set our own example. So, yeah. I mean, I can understand, like, why people um, are opposed to it and mm. are against it. But at the same time, you know, we, you know, this is the only planet we have. Yeah. And we have to make some kind of effort to you know, a lot of those take w- steps towards uh, it. Workers who have vans, like diesel vans, they're... Even if they get like if, uh, three, four thousand pounds for it, yeah. they won't be able to find another van no, for that much not. ever. Okay. They they go for like fifteen k around fifteen k oh, minimum, yeah, yeah, twelve to fifteen k. <laughs> so where are they gonna get that money to 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 carry on uh, their work? Exactly. So yeah, it's gonna put a lot of people out of work. Yeah. But 
uh, it's always the way the, the world goes around, right? Yeah. They make changes and you have to adapt to them. There's a lot of uh, like Euler's camera bandits as well. Yeah, yeah they've been taking yeah. them down. Yeah, they've been taking them down. <laughs> Robin Hoods. Yeah, <laughs> they've been lauded as uh, <laughs> the heroes that we we didn't ask for but we needed. <laughs> yeah. So dear listeners, we hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. We'll be taking a very short break and then delving straight into our first segment of the morning. Please don't go anywhere and please do join us after a very short break. Selections from the writings of the promised Messiah upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community in Islam. Thy boundless blessings and peace be upon Mustafa, O Lord. Verily, through him we receive thy light. My soul is eternally bonded to the soul of Muhammad. I made my heart drink deep of the brimful cup of this love. None better than he could I discover in the whole world. Most certainly, I have broken my heart loose from the grip of others. God's glory is reflected in your virtues, my beloved. Him I made my own by having made you mine. Having touched the hem of thy garment, O God, one is saved from being entrapped by the charms of others. Verily, I bow my head at your threshold alone. O oh, my beloved, I swear by thy unity, in my love of thee I have become oblivious of my own self. By God, all other images have vanished from my heart ever since I had your countenance etched upon it. It was because of you that we became the best of all the peoples. O Prophet of God, who is the best of all the Prophets, as you marched ahead of all the rest, we too stepped forward. Let alone the human beings, even all the angels in the heavens follow suit and join me as I sing thy praise. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. You're listening to Voice of Islam. Online, on mobile and on DAB. 
Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Welcome back to the Voice of Islam. Um, so we have our first topic here, which we want to delve right into now, and that is to do with the need for Britain to harness science and engineering for growth. Um, the gist of the story is such that the UK, with its highly ranked universities, needs to be a key aspect of future innovations. Um, so what is the importance of science and engineering to the growth of a country? The OECD analysis shows that science, technology and innovation play a significant role in economic performance. The ability to create, distribute and exploit knowledge has become a major source of competitive advantage, wealth creation and improvements in the quality of life. However, if governments uh, want to obtain the benefits from this transformation, they have to put the right policies in place. Limits on public spending, increased competition and globalization, changes in the driver in the drivers of the innovation process and a better understanding of the role played by science and technology in economic performance and societal change have led governments to sharpen their policy tools. Increasingly, the government must become a facilitator, enabling business and consumers to adapt to the demands and opportunities of the new economy. Likewise, um, engineers play a key role in supporting the growth and development of a country's economy as well as in improving the quality of life for citizens. As such, there is an important link between a country's engineering capacity and its economic development. However, the extent to which engineering can aid development is also dependent upon governments committing finance and resources required for infrastructure projects. So we do have an expert online with us uh, to discuss uh, this further. We have Patrick White, who is an associate professor at the School of Media, Communication and Sociology at the University of Leicester. Good morning, peace be upon you and welcome to The Breakfast Show. Uh, Good morning and and thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on, Professor. Could you please tell our audience a bit about what your work entails? Well, uh, along with my colleague, we look at the career trajectories of science graduates and we compare these with the career trajectories of other graduates and non-graduates who haven't got degrees. So we start by getting these large data sets that uh, are available, made available by the government, and these are things like the Labour Force Survey, which study uh, people's employment and their work, and we also look at data from other places like the Higher Education Statistics Agency, UCAS, who do the university applications, and the Department for Education. So we get all the data that's currently available on what people are studying and what jobs they go into. And we look at the participation and attainment in different subjects and compare these with different kinds of employment outcomes. And the outcomes we're most interested in is how many people get what's called graduate-level jobs, sort of jobs that we that you need a degree to do, the proportion that go into professional and managerial jobs, so the higher status jobs, and what we're particularly interested in is what's called highly skilled STEM jobs, which are the jobs where at the moment, uh, or actually for about the past hundred years, there have been industry representatives and policymakers saying that we've got a shortage of skilled workers. And these shortage subjects are things like engineering, computer science, and physics, which struggle to uh, recruit compared to other more popular uh, 
uh, options in higher education and are also the areas where the skills, it's argued, are, are needed in the economy. And we're, we're in, we were interested in this work simply because for many, many decades now, uh, both industry representatives and policymakers have been saying that we've got this shortage of scientists. And this isn't something that's just being said in the UK. This is true in the US, but also in, in other countries around the world. So, Professor, what is a STEM subject? Well, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. And that's quite a broad range of subjects. And there are different definitions about what is included. Now, subjects that have been increasing in popularity and have been responsible for recent growth in studying science at university have been things like psychology and sports science. So they're included in the STEM umbrella term, but they're not the ones that governments and industry are most concerned about. They're, those are the subjects like engineering, computer science, uh, physics, uh, those are the ones that, that people feel that there's, there's a shortage in. So they're the ones that we concentrate and we're, we're most interested in. Yeah. And why does Britain need to expand its growth concerning science and engineering? Uh, well, there are several reasons that are put forward for this. And this isn't something that's new. As I've said, this goes back a long time, this debate. And actually, since the end of the First World War, the UK's had ambitions to be what it's called a, a science and technology superstar, uh, sorry, superpower. Yeah. Um, so it's argued that having a uh, strong science and engineering sector is essential for economic growth and for the international standing of the UK for the reputation. And so a, a quote from a, a you know, recent government document is that it's essential for economic growth, improved public services and strategic international advantage yeah. but there are critics of, of this I mean the the select committee recently said that this is a very broad area the UK cannot be world leading in everything so you need to be a bit more strategic and focused in what you're going to be good at and what you're going to leave by the wayside if you like hmm. and there's also a wider skepticism about a skills first approach and this goes all the way back to Tony Blair wanting to increase the number of people with degrees that having the people with the skills doesn't necessarily automatically lead to jobs and economic growth yeah and um, how can we encourage the younger generation to choose STEM subjects well this is something that uh, academics policymakers economists have been wrestling with for a long time and the short answer is it's really difficult to do so so no. we've spent many many millions of pounds over many years trying to increase participation in stem education so this has taken the form of general initiatives a recent example would that would that be was it's not quite an initiative yet but richie sunak's call to have people study maths until 18. There's been uh, ones like Women in Science and Education, which specifically target female students, ones targeting different subjects. But the bad news is that these have never been very successful and they've all always been quite uh, expensive. So the short answer is people don't really know how to, to, how to increase people studying STEM. Um, so 
But the good news from our perspective is, is that we don't think that's where the problem lies. Yeah. Our research shows that we think the main problem is not in getting people to study STEM, but to get STEM graduates, those with STEM degrees, uh, science degrees, to actually go into highly skilled science jobs. Because actually only a minority of science graduates ever work in a highly skilled science job at any point in their life. Yeah. So we think that a much more efficient uh, strategy would be encouraging uh, science graduates that we've already got to work in science. The yeah. problem with that is that science graduates, especially because they're numerate, are very good with numbers, hmm. are very attractive to employers generally, yeah. especially uh, in things like the finance sector where there's a lot of jobs where the UK has traditionally been very, very strong and has definitely been a world leader. And those industries like finance offer much better employment opportunities in, in terms of, of money, for example, salary, working conditions, than science. So science jobs, uh, in terms of their remuneration, in terms of their job prospects, aren't as attractive as other areas in the economy where STEM, work, STEM graduates can go and work. Yeah. So, Professor, is there any uh, last piece of advice that you'd like to leave for our younger generation who are, you know, uh, looking to go into STEM subjects? Well, as STEM subjects, you you have a, you know, you have a world of opportunity in front of you. You can work in STEM, you can work in finance, you can work in other areas. Lots of STEM sub graduates don't end up working in, uh, in science but have very successful careers. But that's true of all graduates. So by the time they are 30, the vast majority of graduates work in professional or, or graduate level jobs. Yeah. So I would encourage people to study science if that's what they're interested in. I think there's benefits for society to have a scientifically literate uh, workforce, even these, if these people aren't working in science. But if, you know, whatever you study, if you don't study a science subject, going to university generally does result in good employment opportunities. Hmm. So really, you know, follow what you're passionate about. Don't feel that you have to do science and that you'll only be successful if you do science. You'll probably yeah. do, be successful whatever you study. But science graduates, you know, do probably have a, a wider choice of p potential career opportunities once they leave university. Hmm. Definitely. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning, Professor. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Uh, for now, take care and have a good morning. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Professor Patrick White. Uh, from He's an associate professor from the School of Media Communication and Sociology at the University of Leicester. Uh, he was raising some um, some pretty good points, uh, you know, in regards to why it's important to go into STEM subjects, why it's important to study, go to university. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing a lot more people going into apprenticeship nowadays. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> They're saying it's more it's more practical. And, um, you know, um, a lot of the times, you know, you spend many years studying. They're and, doing the, um, the practical work and yeah, the groundwork all yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're studying, they're, they're learning with it, and they're doing the practical as well. Whereas, you know, uh, if you just go to university for four or five years, you know, after they, they ask, uh, the job employers ask, like, what experience do you have? Exactly. They, it's, they'll just, ask, it's just theory-based, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they'll be like, we need someone who's had, like, five years or two years or three years. 
Whereas in apprenticeship, you can say, you know, I've I've done an apprenticeship, I've done the practical as well, and you can get a decent job. Uh, so it's not the only avenue, or even the best avenue, but it's, it's a good avenue yeah. to go to go down. But even um, saying the just having um, studied STEM subjects as yeah. well, a lot of people um, would not be, you know, initially attracted just as yeah. towards the science side of it. They're going to like finance and other more appealing, um, you know, fields of work. Yeah. So we now have um, Dr. Susan Tanicliffe from the Asso- International Council of Associations for Science and Education. Good morning and peace be upon you, Doctor. Good morning. Uh, I see that the, the International Council of Associations for Science and Education uh, abbreviates to ICAS. You don't work for Apple, do you? <laughs> Not at all, no. <laughs> all right, then Not let's get straight into it then. Um, I must you... say, we're, we're all volunteers as well at ICAS. Oh, wonderful. Uh, that's that's very, very nice to hear. Um, so just can you please just tell our listeners um, what the International Council of Associations for Science Education specialises in, other than, uh, other than iPhone cases? iCase <laughs> <laughs> um, was founded actually 50 years ago by someone from the National Science Teachers Association of the United States, someone called Dennis Chisman from the Association of Science Education in the United Kingdom, and a lady called Sheila Haggis, who was the science advisor at UNESCO. And they wanted an organisation that could act as an umbrella to science teacher associations around the world. And they started supporting secondary science, is where it began. And that was 50 years ago. And it's continued since, but its emphasis changes. I got involved in 1988 when I went to these uh, people and said, look, you should be looking at primary, pre-secondary science because that has been a paradigm shift in education and is now recognised as very, very important. So that that's a brief background. And now it, um, it, it has a very... Uh, interesting international journal which at the moment is particularly reporting on people's research it doesn't as much direct to the actual teachers but I think the new president wants to change that a bit yeah so doctor you know we've been talking about STEM subjects and um, you know the, the, the avenues that people can follow once they do study these um, and you've talked about also secondary school as well. How you you've been a, a teacher there as well, right? Um, so how yeah. how does it um, link in your work with um, trying to encourage more young people to to learn these STEM subjects? And what are these subjects that they can go into? Well, obviously the STEM subjects are, are all the sciences, including earth science and biology, and psychology and environmental science, uh, mathematics in all its variations, technology and engineering. But my work for the past 12 years or so has been very much with younger children, and we now realize it is vital to have scientifically or STEM literate societies about everyday STEM and to work with the children from their very earliest years. Absolutely. Um, now, how can Britain expand its growth? Now, on a larger scale, we're talking about now expand its growth <laughs> concerning science and engineering. Um, 
Well, first of all, I think you've got to have politicians who understand what it's all about <laughs> and not have uh, done these sort of time, I don't know, almost fossilised economics courses. Um, it's not very common to have politicians with an understanding of these areas. There are some, but um, I think that is one of the big problems. At least Mrs Thatcher, who read chemistry, uh, <laughs> did understand it somewhat, even though she had a lot of other issues. And the governments in the 80s had educational support grants for local authorities to set up primary science this was in the days before the national curriculum and to introduce something called design and technology which is essentially basic engineering and i had a team and we did this in a london authority and the young children the four and five year olds were absolutely brilliant at being creative innovative and quite capable of doing a lot Absolutely. Um, so, obviously, there's a lot of work to do to get more people. Great deal in. of work to be done, yes. Yeah, and, and to educate the, or help the people working with the early years to understand the importance of STEM skills. They're all very keyed into reading, writing, you know, developing that sort of literacy and basic numeracy. What they don't do is recognise the STEM actions, if you like, that are inherent in children's activities particularly in play and play is children's work not messing about in recreation which is what it means to a lot of adults absolutely thank you dr susan it's uh, it's been very nice to speak to you and um you know you've opened our eyes a bit more about the issues and you know how we can go, go forward um i hope you have a lovely morning peace be upon you and and thank you very much thank you very much so that was Dr. Susan Tunnicliffe from the International Council of Associations for Science and Education. So this is quite interesting, again, to to hear how, um, you know, there is this big challenge of getting more people into the sciences as well. And how can we encourage them? We have to start from a young age. And she really yeah. emphasised how it has to be from a very young age where they, they understand mm-hmm. the importance of it and they can, you know, just play and, and you know, use their minds to um, to develop in a way that they can then go into the sciences and... Um, and help the economy, well, help the help Britain then to advance once again in the in this uh, very very key role, I guess. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, we need the politicians to help on, on their yeah. side as well. We do have a brief audio clip of His Holiness the Fourth Caliph of them, the Muslim community, in regards to this. So let's listen to that one. Scientists and researchers are adding to our knowledge and understanding of nature all the time. Mm-hmm. My question is, how much freedom should scientists be given to explore? particularly in the areas of genetic engineering, where we know that there are beneficial uh, sides to their, to their research, but there are also, uh, shall I say, sinister aspects of the research as well. These are the aspects, or aspects, some pronounce it aspects and aspects, uh, which, to which the Holy Quran refers in one of the verses where the Satan is reported to have attested God. He said, I'll take my due share from those who call themselves your servants, you know, who refers to your, your creation, your servants. And that is going to happen. And what I'll do is, I will uh, incite them to cut the, the ears of the animals. Well, it doesn't say why, but we know from practice, historically, 
that some incense were given to the ears of camels or cows or other such animal sheep, etc., when they were dedicated to some idols. And this was a sign that uh, nobody should touch them. They are dedicated to that idol. So they could go to any crop or anywhere and eat whatever they please. It is this custom is still uh, preserved in parts of India. So that is one thing which Satan said, I'll get my share of these people, they'll do it. They'll dedicate these animals not to the Creator, but to those who are created, or even not created. And the second thing was very serious. He said, I'm going to incite them to change your creation. This is genetical engineering. No concept of changing the creation of Allah could ever be born, not born, but could ever be born in the fancy of those people who live, who share the age of Hazrat Muhammad Just beyond the scope of human jump into the fictional, fiction world of the future, how could anybody change the creation of Allah? <laughs> they had not even acquired ordinary means of making a, a, a mechanized boat, you know, something like this. So, the Holy Quran says, and that is mentioned with, with, uh, with, with total, uh, with not, not a clear set, but the set is inborn. That such people will go to Satan and then Allah says, we will punish them. Those who do that, their ultimate abode is, is Jahannam. When I said no clear set is mentioned, I meant in relation to their results in this world. But the underlying idea is so clear. When I, whenever I read these verses right from old, I knew something of that attempt would be made and then Allah would make, maybe make them punish uh, by such inventions or interventions going out of their hands and their control. And that is what the scientific community belonging to the advance of science are already fearing. And, you know, many a time you may come across great scares in the scientific community, in America in particular, whenever they release an insect which has been interfered with, 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 interfered with, and that insect is to perform a certain act of devouring the undesirable insect to save the crops. That experiment was carried out. But... Uh, it has stricken fear in the more knowledgeable and more sensible members of the scientific community. They say, look, these experiments may go out of hand. They point out what happened in Australia and what happened there and there. You try to control the activity of certain animals with the help of some other animals. You introduce them in, in Australia and you were very happy in the beginning. But ultimately they went, you know, played havoc with the whole uh, ecosystem of the country. The rabbits did this. What? The rabbits did this. They, they did yeah, yeah. <laughs> See? So that was uh, His Holiness, you know, discussing a bit about uh, genetic engineering and, you know, how much we have advanced in genetic engineering as well. But, you know, sometimes you could essentially say that, you know, uh, people use these terms that are like, play, you're essentially you could be playing God, right? Yeah. Uh, with a small g. Um, but um, 
there are downsides to it as well but there are you know some good sides as well like in the times of the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him some of the sahaba um, the companions may Allah be pleased with them you know they introduced um, you know to put a certain tree uh, like I'm not sure what is the stem into like another tree to make it give more fruit or something and the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him you know he didn't like encourage or discourage it he said you guys have better knowledge in regards to this so mm-hmm. there there can be you know good aspects to it as well but then you know there I remember there was like a dolly the sheep or something you remember yeah. where they cloned the sheep, yeah. yeah they cloned the sheep and stuff so there can be you know uh, downsides to it as well but then again uh genetic engineering can lead to you know human human um different human transplants and stuff and they can now they can grow stuff out of human tissue as well different stem cells yeah, yeah yeah stem cells and stuff they can grow like a, an ear on, on someone's arm if they've lost an ear so it's, so it's why did you have to hear from your arm though That'd be no, no, yeah no, no i'm saying they can they'll grow it there but then obviously they'll yeah yeah they'll sew it back onto the right place um but in general i think islam has um laid great emphasis on yeah on generally of um of studying the world around us and um, yeah. you know in the the earth and the heavens the skies the and um you know many verses of the holy quran allude to the mm. fact that we should uh, seek knowledge and the holy prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him himself said how we should uh, continue to yeah. uh, seek knowledge from the cradle to the grave and that's like a duty of every muslim man and woman and wherever you find any any lost any any knowledge or any yeah. kind of um um wisdom it's yeah. a lost property for for a believer so um in that sense which there's always that encouragement from religion not a discouragement where where people will think that you know religion is backwards and um it's a go- goes against science well the real- the reality is that mm. they go hand in hand and um and we're co- constantly um in the struggle to continue to learn more and more and more yeah. rather than being discouraged to you know to go into research and science and and what not yeah and you know there's a narration of the holy prophet that even if you have to travel to china to seek knowledge you know you should you should go there essentially or um this was at a time when there were no planes remember exactly <laughs> and no and china was very far from from arabia yeah um and uh, or even the, the words uh, the word of mis- wisdom is a lost property of a muslim yeah. so that uh, wherever he finds it he should take it as he is most entitled to it that's another narration as well and you know like you said uh, you rightly said there's many verses uh, in the holy quran that allude to seeking knowledge like one of the most basic uh, prayers that we learn is rabbi zidni ilma o my lord increase me in my knowledge um so um we are coming uh, to a close on this topic because we are nearing the news uh, the news segment and then we will be taking a very short break and then getting into our second segment of the morning August World Water Week. We hope you've been enjoying today's show so far. It is a live interactive show as I mentioned earlier. If you do have any feedback or would like to speak to us about anything, please do call us in at 02086877878 or you can tweet us at the Voice of Islam UK. Now please do join us after a very short news break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text as this is a recording. and lines are now closed. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim in the name of Allah the most gracious ever merciful peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all dear listeners. Welcome back to the breakfast show. We are uh, going into our second segment of the morning August World Water Week. So what is August World Water Week? It's a good question. Um 
Well, the whole gist of it is that um, you know, this, the August celebrates the World Water Week. It happens in this month, uh, which is a sustainability in which sustainability and seeds of change are discussed. The World Water Week 2023 will focus on innovation at a time of unprecedented challenges. The theme Seeds of Change, Innovative Solutions for a Water-Wise World, invites a rethink of how water is managed and urges consideration of the ideas, innovations and governance systems that are needed in an increasingly unstable and water-scarce world. Hmm. Um, it was organized by the Stockholm um, International Water Institution, Institute. Uh, World Water Week uh, aims to explore how water can be a powerful tool to address the water crisis, yeah. global warming, uh, biodiversity loss, poverty and many other water-related challenges. Hmm. And it will draw on the latest uh, scientific knowledge and experiences from around the world. Yeah. Um, it does aim to be an inclusive, hands-on conference for people who want to use water as a tool to change the world. Hmm. You know, I think, uh, personally, I think I don't think electric cars are the future. I think hydropowered cars could be uh, the future or hydrogen-powered cars. So we, charge our, we charge our cars via the tides? No, no, no. like you just fill it up with water, right? Okay, yeah. And that would power the car. But wherever, however, they make the engine, right? But because um, in terms of uh, electric-powered cars, they work on batteries, yeah. which have to be have to be replaced after like every two two years or something. Absolutely. Right, and to mine the uh, cobalt or the lithium that goes into those batteries, a lot of emissions are made just before the car sets off. It's a, it's, it's a, a lot more emissions are made than than it takes for like a diesel or a petrol car for within like four years. Those emissions are made before the car even sets off, before you even leaves the factory. So yeah, it's uh, has its own costs already. So too. yeah, but if you can, obviously, then uh, water powered or water powered or would be the future. Or whatever, yeah, something like that would. But you know, what? there's a lot of like conspiracy theories that say, say you know, some people, you know, uh, have already come out with this sort of technology and they just like disappear <laughs> because, you know, then all the money... They're threatening the yeah, whole structure, aren't they? Yeah, all the money would uh, like would go out of the hands of the of the rich, right? Yeah. Uh, we do have online with us our guest um, of the, uh, so we can discuss um, in regards to this. We have... Uh, we have uh, is it Yves. Is it Plancherel? Is it Plancherel? Correct. Hi there. Uh, good morning and uh, peace be upon you. And welcome to the the Voice of Islam. Thank you for for coming on on the show. Uh, so Eve, you're a lecturer in the Department of Earth Sciences and Engineering at um, Imperial College London, uh, where you lead the Environmental Diagnostics and, and Analysis Group. Um, so let's just dive right in. Uh, what is the Endian? Uh, research group and what are its aims? Yeah, so this is a, basically a loose, loose name that I give to the people in my group. Uh, it's called Environmental Diagnostics and Analysis um, because we are actually looking for basically metrics to measure the environment and how the environment is changing and also try to understand the change and develop models to understand how the change is happening, how fast, the magnitude of things. Um, and generally speaking, we work on maybe four four areas. One area is climate change and the implication of climate change on environmental issues very broadly. Another sector is resource management, uh, and that includes data uh, collection as well as modeling resource flows in the economy. Um, there's a degree of environmental chemistry, understanding the, the chemical reactions that happen between um, certain species in the environment. 
and also uh, um, a degree of human geography and people trying to understand how environmental change affects human behavior and vice versa. Absolutely. Um, so how, you know, what are the, some of the ways that water can be managed better? As we're talking about World Water Week, um, how the way, what ways can we then, you know, manage it better? What's going wrong? Um, so uh, one of the big things to, to think about when, water, when we talk about water management is about increasing water efficiency. So that means uh, on the demand side, try to use less water. Uh, that also in, in includes uh, fixing leaks. Um, that, that can be done both by the utility companies as well as um, homeowners. That is the, the small leaks that happen in, in people's home. Um, trying to invest in water-saving appliances would be a very good idea. Uh, trying to uh, maybe use washing machines that use less water, um, only wash uh, clothes in bigger, bigger chunks rather than one, you know, one item at a time or these sort of things. Um, and generally speaking, also changing habits uh, in terms of how people water their lawns, how often, uh, taking shorter showers. Um, so, so that, that's all about uh, to do with efficiency, increasing efficiency. And then we can think of uh, another area would be uh, reduce water pollution, right? And so that uh, that has to do with better being be more careful in how we use maybe chemicals in uh, in agriculture, but also in our household sort of daily daily life. Um, think about what happens when you ingest, for example, antibiotics or coffee or any drugs. That that compound is then released. Um, by the body and enters yes. the environment and so there's a, a now a, a big problem with emerging contaminants that is new new chemicals that enter the environment we didn't know existed or didn't exist before we created them um, and then there's the idea of uh, also trying to rely more on nature-based solutions that is plant more trees and other vegetation around streams or in areas that Absolutely. are yes, yes. Uh, useful for recharging groundwaters yeah, there's uh, obviously the there's a lot of lot of factors involved in in this and uh, the different ways in which we can manage it. Um, you know, but you you mentioned a few things such as like having shorter showers, um, thinking about how we water our lawns and stuff. Um, but are, are there any any other ways that um, the water is often wasted that we don't normally think about? Um, Well, I think I think the the problem of leaks, leaking pipes, is really kind of the, the main one. Um, it's it's known to to affect the utility companies, and it's also a known problem that affects uh, households. And 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 I can't remember the statistics, but um, a large amount of water can be saved by trying to manage leaks leaks a lot better. Um, in, in terms of yeah, showers um, related to showers would be flushing toilets. Um, the idea of trying to, to not flush toilet unnecessarily and only flush what should be flushed, uh, that could actually save also quite a lot of water. I've heard I've heard a saying, uh, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. <laughs> I think that probably ties in with what you're, what you're saying. Yeah, but, but, but with regards to water management, another thing that is not thought about a lot, but that's actually really important, is um, in the products we consume. For example, when you drink coffee, that coffee was planted and grown somewhere else. Um, in order to grow a coffee plant, it requires a lot of water. And so you've basically not used water locally when you drink your coffee, but you've, your use of the coffee here implies extensive use of water somewhere else. And so, um, you know, coffee is, is one good example. The paper would be another one, right? So you, you don't think of, of paper or coffee as water-related, 
issues. No. But um, but the manufacturing of this product requires a large amount of water. And I think um, in that sense, you can do a lot in terms of water management by by being more savvy about resource use yourself. So meaning like uh, wasting less and trying to maximize whatever use of whatever it is available and not to... Yeah. I guess yeah, so. exactly, sense, exactly, yeah. and and maybe you know it's it's always um, it's sort of related to the problem of circular economy and also climate change. You know, when you you're trying to use products, use less, more, more in a in a clever way, and and use locally rather than trying to export, import large distances. All of that will tend to to have a benefit um, all across the board. And to another issue now, which is water pollution. How can we combat that? Um, I think so. That's very difficult because pollutants are very diverse. But two classes of pollutants that are um, really extensive are fertilizers and pesticides uh, used, especially in agriculture. And so, trying to use less fertilizers and pesticides would would really help in terms of um, the health of our water bodies. I guess. Um, you also we should also consider maybe use at the household level consider composting, not try to to um, maybe try to recycle the nutrients locally. Um, we think about disposing, especially disposing of waste appropriately is a big one. Um, there sadly there are still people who drain oil, for example, down the drain. Right, yeah. this is absolutely horrible. Or or dispose batteries uh, in the trash rather than in recycling. This is quite bad as well because if you put things in the trash and it goes in the landfill, that landfill ends up leaking. And so, uh, anything you do, uh, any any item you use, try to very carefully think about not just the use of the item but the disposal of that item as well. That will really help. Um, and then, in, in the same way as when we're talking about water management before, for pollution, nature-based solutions are also very important. Basically, plant more trees and add vegetation. Trees and vegetation are excellent filters for uh, for contaminants. And so, the more we have um, basically plants around recharge location, stream waters, all these sort of locations, the better it's going to be. And the last the last point really is to try to encourage our environmental agency. Uh, they have a really tough job in that they have to monitor um, the quality of our, our surface water, right, and some of the groundwater. And so it, it, it's a very tough fight for them because there's an ever-increasing number of emerging contaminants, um, and that means they have to do increasingly more monitoring of things that are being put in the water. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. It's a very, very tough job. And um, anything we can do to really um, help them by you know, by enforcing basically uh, funding to the environmental agency or um, policy that would um, help um, recycling or wasting less, all of that would be really, really helpful. Thank you very much, Yves. That's um, very enlightening and, and uh, to talk to you is very, is very nice and you've given us some good points to ponder over and to deliberate. So um, have, a good, have a good morning and uh, have a good rest of the day. Thank you very much for, for being on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a good day, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. So that was um, that was a, a lecturer at the Department of Earth Sciences and Engineering, Imperial College, London, and you know he shared some very interesting points. And uh, 
got a very interesting research gr- group going as well the Endians uh, the environmental diagnostic and anal- analysis um we do have a brief audio clip uh, for this segment as well so let's uh, listen to that one briefly so a that you know water is a universal drink right yeah right without water yeah. if you look at the history of humanity yeah people started living close to water because water without water you can't survive that's right yeah so a because it maintains your body temperature yeah. you need water for your cells to to work properly you right. need water for all the metabolic reaction inside the water is kind of a base f- for all those for kind of reactions yeah. Yeah. right yeah. so body the metabolism the digestion the growth development but water is required for all those kind of reaction in the body and you 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 brought a very good point that all entire civilizations have built around water yeah So even now I mean uh, most of the bigger cities are right at the where where the yeah. right, right where the river is correct and when and I'm pretty sure you have, you have uh, listened that that now people say that if if uh, there's another war yeah that going to happen that's going to happen because of water because exactly. people countries are actually struggling to get a quality water and with the drought condition and people yes. migrating because there's a no good quality water it's not about just water because you know there are there are countries they are actually you know right at oceans and all that but yeah. the quality drinking water is yeah. differently because the ground water is getting polluted right with uh, you know all the chemical industry all that so right. the 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 water table under the ground is is getting spoiled right. it's, it's definitely polluted and the quality drinking water is becoming scarce right yeah, yeah yeah so i know it's is globally important it's important in politics as well it's important for irrigation all the plant life depends on availability of water animal drink it we drink it yeah so it's, it's such an important subject to talk about and uh, give our viewers some best possible information that for my personal health uh, i'd like to know a little bit what role water plays so once i drink water it, it goes into the stomach and right. then it's uh, is a is a solvent it is a solvent it does uh, like all your we, we talked about previous program we talked about the the metabolism we talked right. about the metabolic reaction we right. talked about the di- digestion right right all that water is a base for that right if there's no water those reaction not going to happen right? Right, right so water gets into your blood maintain that blood volume right. water get into the cells provide that base for the reaction for yeah, yeah. energy production yeah. water maintain your body temperature yeah, yeah, right yeah. it so it is a part and parcel uh, so uh, they were discussing um, you know like water uh, pollution and how how we can combat it um mentioning the chronic shortage of water in Africa his holiness um the f- current caliph of them the muslim community may allah be his help has stated here in the west it is common for people to waste water but i personally spent 8 years living in africa and so i have seen for myself how desperate for water these people are young children no older than 7 or 8 have to walk for miles with large water vessels balanced on their heads in order to retrieve water from dirt filled ponds Uh, his holiness further continued he said we ahmadi muslims seek to help e- such deprived people by providing water relief to them through the installation of or rehabilitation of water pumps in the most remote uh, remote parts of the world when the pumps begin to work and water begins to flow the happiness on the faces of the local people is indescribable 
His Holiness um, referred to the fact that the new mosque uh, has been built by stone bricks and His Holiness said that the stone was considered to be hard and impenetrable material but the Holy Quran had mentioned those stones from whose core pure water gushed forth. And uh, His Holiness further said that just like those stones from which water gushes out, you will see that nothing but love, compassion and peace will gush f- from the hearts of Ahmadi Muslims. And, uh, we, you know, we do have our cha- uh, registered charity, the Humanity First charity, which does, you know, great um, works, great outreach projects in many different countries, such as Afri- uh, African countries, such as Ghana or Zimbabwe, uh, installing water pumps. and Water for you know, Life uh, is the project, uh, water, right? water for Life, yes. Yeah. They have a project called Water for Life installing uh, various different water pumps and um, and wells and stuff stuff in uh, remote uh, villages of Africa where water is inaccessible. As His Holiness mentioned, for miles they have to walk and even then they only get dirty, muddy water. You know, I've actually experienced this uh, firsthand. Yeah. Where when I was in Benin back in Mm. 2018, um, we we had some Humanity First um, volunteers who had come to Benin as well at the same time. And they were there to um, for this specific project, Water for Life. Um, <coughs> and so I, w- I went with him everywhere that they yeah. that they they had done all the groundwork and everything, and got all the machinery and everything that they needed to actually uh, dig the the boreholes. Hmm. And eventually, they got to the place where they were. They decided this is the right place for it. Um, and it's always hit and miss with these kind of yeah. things. You can't um, always get it right. Hmm. To get the exact depth of yeah. where the where the where the clean flowing water is, is is not always something that you can get first time. Hmm. And so we were in this in this village where you know the kids and everyone would would travel long distances to to get their clean water. Yeah. And they when they saw that, that we're digging a hole very close to to where they are, um, they would gather around. Hmm. And I remember when the when the drill came up, and the water that started coming out was it was brown. Hmm. It was brown, and I I looked at this water and I'm thinking, oh no, it's a failure. Yeah. We haven't we haven't uh, managed to get it right this time. Yeah. And uh, I wouldn't even drink that, let alone mm. shower in it or yeah. anything. Um, but all of a sudden, the kids and the people from the village, all of them running home, yeah. and they're getting whatever like uh, bucket or you know tub or whatever they had at home, yeah. just to, just to fill up from that. Mm. And the eye, the eyes, the way that they lit up, and it looked like they were struck gold. Yeah. And for me, it's like for somebody living mm. in the you know in, in the in a first world country, mm. it's it's something that you wouldn't even touch. But at the same time, these people, they saw this and it's like, basically, you just made their life so much easier, despite it not even being like the, the, the clean water that we yeah. had intended to find for yeah. them. Um, it was something which is still a big, big benefit for them, because mm. in, in one sense, they're not traveling uh, tens of miles just to, yeah. just to get that, that the same water which they would have found from somewhere else, yeah. uh, just to bring right back. Um, so in a sense, like, you know, I've seen how, um, you know, there is a big need for clean water around the world mm. and we take it for, for granted so much as his holiness has mentioned mm. we don't know the value of, of clean water yeah. um, in another <laughs> just I'll quickly briefly mention another incident yeah, in yeah. another village there was there was no running water anywhere yeah. and the only source of water that they had was from this waterfall mm. and um, you know this uh, this was a stream and the people would go to that waterfall collect the water and come back and I was like oh great I can finally have a shower <laughs> <laughs> I've just been sweating all day and stuff <laughs> and I went to the place um, and I just realized there's this, this icky black sticky stuff all over the rocks and everything. I'm oh, like, yeah. something's not right here. Yeah. And they asked the person then, they said, mm. yeah, basically an oil tanker had, um, had, had, um, 
you know, fallen hmm. just above the waterfall and it hmm. all had seeped into the streams and everything. And this was years before. And it was continuously just like uh, polluting the, hmm. the whole water stream. And that was the water that they expected us to, to, to drink from and to shower from. And I thought, if I shower with this, I'm just going to get dirtier. So yeah. I think I'll pass today. <laughs> but it's, uh, again, it's about again, valuing exactly, water and managing exactly, it as well. Yeah. And uh, seeing how we can avoid these uh, pollutants and mm. stuff, and um, you know, human humans are one of the biggest factors in um, in this whole pollution thing. And you know, how our, our previous guest had mentioned as well, no. we need to find natural ways to you know, to clean it out and stuff, mm. and to and, you know, and to make, have something renewable. Mm. And you you know, once you uh, you essentially have a reality check, yeah, where there's so many things we take for granted, such yeah. as our senses, mm. such as like our sight, our eyes, we take for granted. Yeah. You know, there's so many people in the world that are like born blind, or there's for some reason they have gone blind, um, but they don't have access to medical care. Yeah. Like cataract is a big thing, right? Yep. They don't have access to medical care that they can get it fixed. Um, uh, or they don't have access to clean water, as we're mentioning. And here we are, you know, we're just discussing about, you know, how you layers and how we have to, you know, <laughs> this is a first world problem, exactly. right? Whereas, um, you know, we're, we're still living, uh, essentially, compared to those people, we're living a luxurious life. Absolutely. Right? We've got, we got a shelter over our heads. Yeah. We've got running water. We've got electricity. That's more than millions of people. So, that, that so Alhamdulillah, by the grace that. of Allah, you know, you should always... Um, I wouldn't say count your blessings, but always, uh, you know, as Islam teaches, always it's best to be the hand that gives than the hand that receives. Absolutely. And always think of those that are lower than you. Then that way you will never, you know, look up to these uh, rich celebrities thinking, oh, oh, they have fame, they have money. You will always see that there's, there's still people that are far worse off than you. Mm. And you could be worse off as well in that situation. But Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, Allah the Almighty has blessed you and put you in a good situation. So, um, getting back to the topic at hand, uh, it is World Water Week, yes? Yes. Correct. So, um, wh- wh- why is it important to have this week, would you say? Well, it actually, it highlights the these challenges that we've been talking about, these global challenges of how water can, um, and how water can solve most of them, actually. Um, so, World Water Week is not just about, it's not just a leading annual conference on global water issues yeah it is also a powerful movement for change and the challenges such as you know climate crisis we're talking about we're talking about poverty uh we're talking about even loss of biodiversity you know without without water like where where the plants going to grow you know hmm. the animals won't be around there's no plants and no water yeah. um and that can be impacted positively with the use of water so imagine um if we can bring to these desolate places we can bring that clean fresh water hmm. how much that would impact the, the environment and, and the world around us so Definitely. this World Water Week basically just focuses on um, the major transformations that need to take place if we are to achieve a sustainable uh, the de- the development goals that we um, and slashing the carbon emissions that we've been talking about for for a long time now. Hmm. So um, so I guess this this week is basically it's packed full of useful insights and knowledge for the general public. Like we wouldn't be talking about this really, would we? Unless uh, you know, if it wasn't for this World Water Week, um, you know, that's something which is uh, which I guess has has opened at least the, the the topic of conversation yeah you know it wouldn't yeah. be in the in the spheres of conversation if we, until we actually witness it firsthand or you know until this world water week comes around uh, in the holy quran the word water is mentioned not only as the most important source of the physical life on earth but also the term water is used as the most important source of our spiritual life 
in uh, Surah Al-Anbiya um, verse 31 Allah says and we made of water every living thing again in uh, Surah Al-Furqan it is written and he it is who created man from water now the scientific research findings have made it evident that all forms of life depend on water which is in the oceans lakes and rivers and it descends on lands from the clouds in form of rain snow or hail so you know water is very essential to life itself absolutely we do have uh, another um, guest with us uh, online with us to discuss this further we have a kintunde babatunde who is currently an associate professor in the school of civil engineering university of leeds uk good morning peace be upon you and welcome to the breakfast show professor Good morning and thank you for having me on the show this morning. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um just to get into things, what are the solutions uh some of the solutions to water pollution? Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> big subject. We <laughs> I'd like to draw your attention to that word pollution. Okay. Now, what do we mean by pollution? Hmm. Uh, I did raise an important observation some years ago. If you look at what we classify as pollution and pollutants, it keeps changing. Hmm. And if you look at the standards, so for instance, if you look at the EU directives that tells us the extent to which we need to reduce so-called pollutants in our water and our wastewater before discharge, it keeps changing. Yeah. So the goalpost keeps moving. So as of today, I could tell you that A, B, and C are pollutants. And in 10 years time, I could tell you even the tea they are drinking is not a pollutant. So in a nutshell, anything that causes the chemical, physical, and biological balance in our water bodies to be altered such that it becomes unfit and unsafe for human use for any purpose at all is a pollutant. So we could take that as a pollutant. But what we then regard as pollutants, maybe uh, pollutant A or pollutant C or pollutant C, it will keep changing. So, for instance, if we are discharging, um, let's say, pollutant A into water as of today, if it's not affecting the water body in any way based on the guidelines and the standards that we have, then we might not say it as a pollutant. No. But then just down the line, this might change. And what makes things to change, one of it is to, is uh, limits of our detection abilities. So we have instruments, we have things that we use to measure and detect these pollutants. At the moment, there are some of them that we are not able to detect them beyond certain limits. As our knowledge increases and our ability to detect also increases, yeah, we might be able to detect them. And then suddenly, they will become pollutants. Yeah. Another one is it could be political. And that's very controversial because um, most of this um, determination of pollutants are from the EU law, or they bring into our UK law. Um, that, that, that debate on some of them. I'll give you an example. One of them is phosphorus, which yeah. is an important nutrient. Now, it causes eutrophication, and eutrophication leads on to a lot of other environmental problems. The goalpost continuously being moved. I say, oh yeah, you have to reduce it down to two milligram per liter, then one down to one milligram per liter, then it went down to zero. And it got to a point that the water companies, because they bear the 
the grant of the budgets because they have to constantly find the processes and the technology to remove those pollutants down to the level that is required. So it got to the point that, look, you are just saying these things. What is the proof? What is the evidence that we have to reduce this pollutant, for instance, phosphorus, down to very little levels, maybe 0.1 milligram per liter, or even 0.01. What is the proof? What is the science? And there's a serious debate going on about that. So it's very controversial, and it depends on who you're talking to. Yeah. Um, how can uh, water pollution be prevented at a larger scale? Okay, now you use the word larger scale. Yeah. I am always an advocate for decentralization. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be uh, centralized. Now, the first approach is not to pollute at all. Yeah. That is almost impossible. Mm. And then the next is to pollute less. So if we use less, we pollute less. Okay. And we can also embrace recycling. Yeah. Okay. So all of these things will help us to reduce the amount of pollutants that we release into our water bodies. But we are not going to get to a point where there will be no. Hello? Hello? Hello, Professor? Can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can hear you. Yeah, yeah, I said, but we are not going to get to a point where there will be zero pollution, no. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are things that we can do to reduce the amount of pollution in our water bodies. Hmm. Useless, we... Uh, repurpose water, we reuse water, we recycle water, all those kind of things. There are things we can do to reduce um, pollution. Yeah. Um, what is the importance of uh, good quality water? <sighs> <laughs> well, the, I, 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 I would doubt if anyone would uh, not understand and why it is very important for us to have good quality water. Yeah. Uh, it's, where, where will I start? It's, it's life. It's the basis of life. Hmm. It's the basis of life. Uh, I mean, uh, if, if, you, if you look at everything that we do, yeah. okay, it's all down to having good quality water. Hmm. Okay? Uh, I know in one of my lectures, uh, the students, I tell them two things. Number one, you know the water distribution system? Yeah. So those are the pipes and the stuff that we use to move water from where it is uh, generated down into our homes and uh, offices and companies and all the rest. Hmm. It's, it's weird, but do you know that if anything, if anything goes wrong with that distribution system yes. and there is an infield of the pollutant, pollutant can you just imagine the extent to which it can affect the populace, you can, you can immediately put the lives of probably millions and millions of people at risk. Yeah, definitely. Water engineers should be as far as medical doctors. Hmm. Because that is, if anything goes wrong in our water system, it to affect the entire population. So it's very important. Very important. Too important. Hmm. Important. I can't overemphasize that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like if if there's a <clears throat> if there's a water reservoir or a water tank, and uh, you know a, a minor thing, a minor uh, anything that gets into it, that can affect the whole city essentially, right? Yeah, 
and yeah. lead to a lead to a, a big outbreak of of like a virus or a pa- or a pandemic or something like that, right? Yeah. So yeah. So what's your question on that? No, no. I'm just saying that how imp- why it's so important to have good quality of water. I was yeah. just re-emphasizing what you were saying. You can you can we we cannot overemphasize that. Yeah. We cannot overemphasize that. Yes. Very important. Too important. Even too important. Yeah. Yes. And uh, yes. to what extent uh, does climate change play a role in water quality? Oh wow! Now, <laughs> <laughs> climate change. Now, if you look at some of the effects of climate change, we are beginning to have more and more intense rainfall, yeah. more higher duration. Okay, how does that affect uh, water? Okay, as a result of that, you have more increased runoffs that carry more pollutants down to the treatment plants. That then requires treatment. Okay, so we have more water to treat, and we have even more pollutants to remove. Okay, all of this. Now, when we talk of that, that is we're talking of storm water and wastewater. Okay, so that's quite different from drinking water, the water that we drink. But they are all within the water cycle, so it puts a lot of more pressure. Okay, on the water companies in terms of the volume and things that they have to deal with. Okay? Yeah. So yeah, so it does, in that way it impacts on uh, on the water system. Okay, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning, Professor. It's been a pleasure it's speaking pleasure. to you. Uh, we'd love to have you on uh, on again another time. Uh, for now, have a good morning and take care. Thanks for having me and have a good morning too. Thank, thank you. you. Bye bye for now. Bye. So that was uh, Professor Akintunde Babatunde from the University of Leeds, uh, expressing you know the why it's so important to have uh, good quality water and uh, without it essentially you know we cannot live we cannot thrive we cannot do anything because it is the building blocks of life and uh, as stated in the holy quran as well that we originated from water so all, all living things are created all, all, all living from water, things yeah. yeah so essentially it's our it is our building block right yeah definitely it makes me wonder how people can uh, survive on and water which is of not the same quality that we're used to and uh i guess uh you know they they also develop you know different uh bodily problems different yeah, things that yeah stuff, illnesses yeah. and stuff they're they're malnourished and stuff like that yeah. it's, so it's, it's it, they're, they're surviving right yeah they're not they're not thriving surviving they're yeah. surviving and if if yeah. at all yeah if at all yeah uh which is you know it is a shame that uh you know m- m- like there's uh, there's probably like millions of people that don't have access to clean water around the world yeah. right yeah um and uh, it's just something that we take for granted again and we just live in our bubble just living yeah. our own life and thinking everything's fine and everything just worrying about our own ulus expansion and stuff yeah. <laughs> Whereas there's these people who <laughs> have true worries like uh, yeah. like and know. and the thing is when you meet these type of people they're the most friendliest mm. and like most uh you know open content, people they're content as well. yeah. yeah yeah exactly and we're here with all our we're here with our first f- first world problems <laughs> that uh, just aren't going away so uh our lo- last uh, caller of uh, of uh, today is uh, with us we have a uh, Ellie Schooler from um, Charity Water Ellie Schooler leads the Charity Water brand in the UK and Europe um, charity Water ensures that 100% of every single penny donates, uh, donated is spent building sustainable, clean water projects run by local partners. 
and they work in the most rural areas of the world and, and know that bringing clean water is the first step out of poverty for these communities. Good morning, Eli Skula. And, you know, this is a topic we've just been talking about and um, I'm sure you'll be able to enlighten us and, and help us to understand the subject a lot better. Thank you for, for joining us on the show. Hi, good morning. It's lovely to speak to you. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. great to be able to speak about uh, clean water and its importance. Absolutely, so it's yeah. interesting listening to your show. And to begin with, then, can you just explain? Uh, I, I did mention a little bit in brief um, uh, what the <clears> charity is, but could you explain the aim of your charity? Yes, absolutely. So, Charity Water was founded back in 2006 with a really simple, clear, clear mission, which is to bring clean, safe drink water to every person on the planet. And to date, we have 703 million people who access um, access to basic, clean, safe drinking water, like you've just been discussing on your show. And so uh, our job, uh, very simply, is to bring clean water to those people. We work in the most rural areas, as you mentioned, and, and that's really important um, because these are communities who are very unlikely to get um, support from their local governments um, in order to have access brought to them. So it relies very much on charities like ourselves, our local partners, to bring water to them. And how many people does the water that your charity provides reach? So to date, um, I'm really excited to say that we've actually um, brought clean water to 17 million people. and. It's fantastic, but when you look at it in comparison to the 703 million number, it's you know it's really tough because it's still such a huge number. Um, but that means that we have actually funded over 137,000 projects across uh, 29 countries, um, and it, we really work to kind of bring clean water to entire regions of areas. You know, we want to make sure that um, entire communities and areas have got clean water, rather than doing sort of really sporadic, randomised water projects across different countries. That's not actually bringing a huge amount of people out to poverty um you know if you bring clean water to a, to a uh, community you're likely going to improve the economic growth of that area you are obviously going to improve the health um, because of the sheer volume of waterborne diseases that people carry by drinking dirty water it's it's phenomenal um and and water as, as you guys will well know is is such a a point of uh, equality. So it's women and children who walk predominantly to go and collect dirty water. And so they're spending hours, hours and hours a day walking um, to collect water that just makes them sick and makes their family sick, which stops them from going to school, which stops them from going to do work. So you talked about the different regions and stuff. Can you go a little bit further and just like explain for our viewers like um, what kind of areas around the world um, you, you know your projects are and what what are those projects in, in particular yes absolutely so we uh, work at the moment to date we are live across the entire continent of Africa and Southeast Asia so we have projects in India Pakistan Bangladesh um, Nepal we also work across sort of Central Africa so a lot of work in countries like Ethiopia uh, Uganda Tanzania Zimbabwe Zambia um, Nigeria Mali uh, and I can continue, and, and Madagascar. Um, but we, as I said, we are really trying to focus and centralise on those projects. Now, the way that we work is um, 
it, it really depends obviously on the geography and the geology of an area. So one thing that might work in uh, Nepal uh, wouldn't necessarily work in Pakistan or, or Uganda. So we really have to make sure that we are working with local experts on the ground who are showing us what the right solution for that area is. Um, so we, we call ourselves solution agnostic as a result. So we say, you know, we'll do what you guys need to ensure that long-term sustainable water solutions are found. Um, and that means that we currently work across roughly seven to eight different sort of methods of bringing clean water. One being something that we, you, you've, you've mentioned on the show, but it's the most sort of obvious um, thing you'd imagine when you think of bringing clean water is a sort of hand pipe. Uh, um, hand pumped with the dug as you described with the water pulling up Um, but you can also see uh, quite different things like uh, gravity fed pipe systems so if you have actually got quite good rainfall you can then gather the water and put it through a pipe system and then it will go through yeah uh, yeah, and then it will go through a sort of uh, biosam filter so it just depends on the the region the topography the geology of of the area that we're working in that's fascinating. Um, well, obviously, it's, it's a. And next time we'll ask you a question, which uh, we've been asking pretty much all our guests. Um, it seems it seems a very obvious one, but one that uh, people may may not think about that often. And what is the importance of of that clean water for everyone? Like, yeah. what what are the implementations of that? I mean, the yeah. you know, what does it what does it actually mean to the people on the ground? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big challenges we have um, uh, by being um, as lucky as we are in the UK and, and countries that have clean water at our disposal from the minute we wake up to the moment we go to bed and we don't understand the barriers that it creates is, is understanding really the need there um, when you can't see it super close to home. So water, it, it really has such core benefits for um, for health, for education, for women and for eco- uh, economic empowerment. So our slogan at Charity Water is clean water changes everything. Because if you can't have clean water in your area, you are not being able to um, to get to school, to stay in school, to have things like wash programs. Um, so if a child, um, like a, a young girl, hits menstruation and there's no latrines and there's no clean water for her at school, she's very, very likely to drop out and no longer attend. So the impact there is so so clear if you're not being able to go into education you're inhibited from that moment and if you're spending all your time going to get water so um for us we say that clean water benefits women it benefits children it it really has a a direct impact on health education economic growth and equality for women so it's clear it goes beyond just merely just having something to drink or or to shower and this affects so many many aspects of one's life yeah Absolutely. Um, and we so, see that in communities we go to see. You know, you go and see them five, ten years down the road and they, they've they lifted themselves out of a rung of poverty and they're doing different things, which is really fascinating. I was just about to ask you that, Elisa. Have you have mm. you been to these uh, some of these areas as well? Have you have you seen how, how it impacts the people and uh, what kind of, uh, yeah. how it changes their lives? So I haven't. We as an organisation at Charity Water, we really try to be incredibly thoughtful and pragmatic about who we take out and see projects. So we really prioritise our water programmes team. These are international development specialists. 
who are going out to see our local partners to work with them and to ensure that the work is, is going as it should be and planned. Um, we also dedicate a small group of our creative team to go out and collect stories to find out what the impact of clean water is so that we can tell that story to the masses. Um, but we really try to pull back on terms of, you know, letting our entire team go and see these projects. <laughs> we we don't want to interfere with people's lives. Yeah. and. And, and it's amazing, you know, communities are so grateful for the work that um, they have had done that they want to put on a big uh, show when people arrive. And so we really want to avoid, you know, um, distracting them and, and making them feel that they have to spend a lot of time and energy and resource hosting um, people Absolutely, like us. Yeah. We, we work with local partners to make sure that they are the front face of this kind of work. We we basically gather the donations. And just, just on that, as Charity Water, um, as you've mentioned on the in the in the brief bio, we send a hundred percent of every single penny that's donated to our water projects to uh, to these communities and then we track and trace the money. So you can go onto our website and see every single project we've ever built. So the a charity in the location. truest sense. And that's uh, yeah. just fantastic and um, you know it's been it's been lovely speaking to you. Um, you. I hope you have Thank a lovely you. morning and um, it's you. been a pleasure. Thank you, Ellie, for, for joining us on the show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was Ellie Schooler, who um, who leads the charity Water brand in the UK and Europe. And uh, I think speaking to her, we've had, we've had a really good understanding of how um, the impact um, it has in the in the communities where you know water is scarce or mm. you know there's, there isn't clean water available yeah. and how they go into those areas and you know, change the lives forever of those people. Hmm. In not just, uh, as I said, not just in having clean water to drink and having some water to shower and whatnot. Yeah. It affects their education, it affects their health, it affects um, all aspects of their of their lives. Actually, Definitely. and it's something we don't, as I said, we don't think about that. How our lives would have changed completely if if we were in a similar situation hmm. where water all of a sudden is turned off and we have to, you know, walk several miles to to find something clean for us to. to yeah. Have. So it's. Definitely. I mean, it was it was very nice to to hear it in that way, hmm. and it, I, I can resonate with that. It, it resonates with me. I'm saying that with the, with what I saw firsthand hmm. as well, and um, and I guess these kind of things, these kind of experiences, kind of help you to appreciate more what you have. Um, hmm. you don't know what you have until you've lost it, right? Definitely. And for these people, they when they don't have it in the first place, then hmm. when it does come, it's it's, it's such a a wonderful um, you can say surprise for them or, or a gift. That we're giving to them, and that's the minimum I think that we, especially as Muslims as well, right? Yeah. The the whole aspect of charity and giving to the needy and to the poor hmm. is something which is integral to our faith, uh, and not just to, to Islam, but to to all major religions. Hmm. Um, so I guess we should use that as a as a positive tool to to help those around us, and not just um, live this life of luxury, you know, completely ignorant to what's going on outside as well. Hmm. Yep, definitely. So, uh, dear listeners, we have reached the end of today's uh, breakfast show. I'd like to thank all our listeners for tuning in and our experts for taking out time to discuss the topics. Uh, I'd like to thank the producer, Namood Sahar, and the researchers, Marjala Ahmed, Tamsila Khuram, Sophia Shanwari, Maria Sheikh, Mehrish Togar, Naima Chaudhary, and the technical department and my fellow presenter, bro- brother Nuruddin Jangir. Uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. Uh, for now please do have a good morning and uh, enjoy the rest of your day please take care assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh